Al-Bayan Radio presents the following program presented by Sheikh Khalid Muhammad from Masjid Al-Azhar, Birmingham. Alhamdulillah, wa salatu wa salamu ala Rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man walah. Rabbi shrah li sadri wa yassir li amri wa ahlul uqdatan min lisani yafqahu qawli. Welcome brothers to the 11th part of the Seerah uh, series. Alhamdulillah, we've reached the part uh, just after the incident of the splitting of the chest of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam today initially the plan was to speak about the death of the Prophet's mother sallallahu alaihi wasallam his mother Amina bint Wahab and also the story of uh, Bahira for those who know but insha'Allah ta'ala we're going to uh, suffice with a different topic to begin with which is the seal of prophethood the seal of prophethood and insha'Allah we'll explain that very shortly in some uh, you know, detail, a little bit of detail, insha'Allah, and then move on to the death of his mother, uh, and then insha'Allah ta'ala, we can take the story of Bahira in the next lesson and continue on from there. The seal of prophethood, brothers, uh, was described as being a section on the prophet's skin, almost like skin protruding between his shoulders, more so towards the left shoulder. And the reason it was mentioned, wallahu a'lam, some of the scholars, they said it was more towards the left shoulder is because that's where the heart, obviously the side where the heart is. And they said that the Prophet ﷺ was protected, of course, from shaitan and the whispers of shaitan and the likes. So it was mentioned that this is one of the main entrance points where he whispers and things like this, and that's why it was towards the left shoulders. Some of the mashaykh have said, or oh, his left shoulder. Some of the mashaykh said, obviously, that's ijtihad from the ulama. You know, there's nothing exactly mentioned like that in the Quran or the Sunnah, of course. Uh, this is ijtihad from the ulama. They tried their best, many of the scholars, to explain certain things. But at times, brothers, as we mentioned previously, it's very, very important that at times you're going to come across things in the sharia that you might not understand and you might never understand. And you need to understand that. Because when you understand that, it becomes easier to just sami'ana wa ata'ana. To just have that mindset of sami'ana wa ata'ana and say sami'ana wa ata'ana and live and feel and react like that almost instinctively, subhanAllah. But when someone comes and he wants to always with every single thing figure out the wisdom and wisdoms and why and how and this and that, he ends up living a life, subhanAllah, where he starts naturally, eventually, questioning Allah Azza wa Jal. For if he doesn't, this is where sometimes it could lead someone to this, where if he doesn't know the wisdom of something, he might not believe in it. If he doesn't know the wisdom of something, he might reject it. And subhanAllah, this is what a lot of people have unfortunately fell into. For the sign of prophethood, as we said, it is like a piece of protruding flesh on the Prophet wasallam's left shoulder or between his shoulders more so towards the left, the left side on his back. It emerged after the incident of the splitting of the chest which we mentioned in the last lesson. And it was a sign of the prophethood, of his prophethood. It was a sign of his prophethood that was even known in the previous scriptures. We mentioned previously that the coming and the emergence of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam and him being a prophet and a messenger and the likes and even the companions, the concept were mentioned in the previous books. We had a whole lesson about that if you guys remember. And this seal of prophethood likewise when you look at some of the incidents of certain individuals becoming Muslims or certain individuals wanting to say, is this really Muhammad? Is this really Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam? What do they look for? As we're going to come across inshallah, the story of Salman, the story of Bahira, as we're going to say inshallah, they look for this seal of prophethood. They look for this piece of protruding skin or flesh uh, on the back in between the shoulders of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And this sign, this symbol, has been mentioned and described by multiple companions. And sometimes you see, my brothers, you see one thing being described by multiple and different companions. At times, you'll see one companion describing it with an extra bit of detail. Or maybe in a little bit of a different way than another companion described it. Why? When you look into the ahadith, you see this why? It could be based off what that certain companion saw, he's describing. What the other companion saw, he's describing. And things like this. An example of that is the narration, which some of the ulama, they mentioned, of moving the finger in tashahud. Moving the finger in tashahud. 
and other examples يعني, in the sunnah we say this often فهيه, it's just like an extra piece or pieces of information for that which is authentic you accept them all and when reconciliation is needed you reconcile and one two three and alhamdulillah for our ulama who have already done these these jobs for us and pretty much يعني, clarified much of that which uh, uh, or was a con- misconception to some to some but the point is that the companions, they described this. And as I said, some companions described it in different ways, added information, extra information, possibly based off what they saw, possibly based off what they felt, as we're going to see, inshaAllah ta'ala. So it was described as being, as we're going to see soon, the size of a pigeon's egg. The size of a pigeon's egg. And it could be literally touched. It could be felt physically. And it had hairs in all and around it. Hairs. And we're going to say a bit about that inshallah now. Al-Qurtubi rahimahullah ta'ala, he says, The proven ahadith are agreed that the seal of prophethood was something raised, meaning protruded, coming out near his left shoulder, the size of a pigeon's egg. And then he says, there is no proof, because it has been mentioned by some, what he's about to mention now. But he says, there's no proof. There is no proof that the name of Allah or the name of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was written on the seal. And we're going to say a bit about that inshallah from Al-Hafid ibn Hajar. He says, Ibn Hajar in his Fath, the explanation of Sahih al-Bukhari, Fath al-Bari, he says, وَأَمَّا مَا وَرَدَ مِنْ أَنَّهَا كَانَتْ كَأَثَرِ مِحْجَمْ أَوْ كَالشَّامَةِ السَّوْدَاءِ أَوْ الْخَضْرَاءِ أَوْ مَكْتُوبٌ عَلَيْهَا مُحَمَّدٌ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ أو صرف إنك أو فأنت المنصور أو نحو ذلك فلم يثبت منها شيء ولا تغتر بما وقع منها في صحيح ابن حبان فإنه غفل حيث صحح ذلك والله أعلم. He says. He says with regard to what has been narrated about it, this sign of prophethood, this seal of prophethood. He says with regard to what has been narrated about it being like the mark of a cupping glass. You know, back in the days, how did they used to do hijama? Not the way we do it exactly today. Uh, uh, they used to have a method whereby they would suck the blood out. And that is why in fiqh, يعني, there's the whole dispute and difference of opinion as well. One of the reasons يعني, that adds to this, this difference of opinion, uh, when the Prophet wasallam he says that the one that does the hijama and the one that has the hijama done, they both break their fast. For some of the ulama, they spoke about that and they said because back in the days they would Suck the blood out. And they spoke about that. The point is, he says that as for what has been narrated about it, being like the mark of a cupping glass, or like a black or green mole, or that the words Muhammad is the messenger of Allah, Muhammad Rasulullah, or sirfa antal mansur, yani, uh, 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 pretty much go, uh, go forth, tread forth, march forward, for you are the one that is supported. And other things that were supposedly written on it, none of these reports have been proven. Nothing. And he says, do not be deceived by what was narrated in Sahih ibn Hibban because he was mistaken when he classified that as Sahih. And Allah knows best. This is what he says. End quote. And for those who know hadith, they know what some of the ulama have mentioned regarding the classification of hadith from ibn Hibban rahimahullah ta'ala. And the ulama... Mujtahidun, they make mistakes and they, they get things wrong. And alhamdulillah, we have the ulama to uh, uh, clarify these matters once again and to clarify when they made mistakes, what was right, what was wrong, etc. We also have the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that Anas radiyallahu ta'ala anhu or this one that Jabir mentions an simak annahu sami'a Jabir ibn Samura yaqul kana rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam qad shamita muqaddamu ra'sihi wa lihyatih وكان إذا الدهن لم يتبين وإذا شعث رأسه تبين وكان كثير شعر اللحية فقال رجل مثل السيف يعني وجهه مثل السيف قال لا بل كان مثل الشمس والقمر وكان مستديرا ورأيت الخاتم عند كتفه مثل بيضة الحمامة يشبه جسده جابر بن سمرة he says that they had appeared some whiteness on the front part of the head and the beard of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, when he applied oil 
when the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, would apply oil, it didn't become visible. Then he says, but when he didn't apply oil, it would become apparent. And he had a thick bead. A thick bead. The Prophet وسلم, his bead was described as being thick. And you can go to the Shama'il of At-Tirmidhi, rahimahullah ta'ala, for more information on the way his bead was, the way his hair was, and everything else, which I'm sure many of us are already familiar with. For a person said, Someone mentioned his face was like a bright sword, a sword shining. Thereupon Jabir, the companion, radiallahu anhu, he said, No, it was round and like the sun and the moon. And I saw the seal, yani the seal of prophethood that we're talking about now, near his shoulder of the size of a pigeon's egg, and its color was the color of his skin, yani that of his body. And it's also been mentioned regarding the hadith of uh, 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 one of the companions, the author, when they say, قَالَ رَأَيْتُ النَّبِيَّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ Abdullah ibn Sarjus, rahimahullah, radiyallahu ta'ala anhu, he says, I saw the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم وَأَكَلْتُ مَعَهُ خُبْزًا وَلَحْمًا أَوْ قَالَ ثَرِيدًا And I ate with him bread and meat. فَأَذَنْتُلِي so what does he say? He says, فَنَظَرْتُ إِلَى خَاتَمِ النُّبُوَّةِ بَيْنَ كَتِفَيْهِ so he says here that I ate bread and meat with the Prophet Sallallahu Then I went behind him. I went behind him. I went behind him and I saw, I looked. He says, and I saw the seal of prophethood between his shoulders near the top of his left shoulder, the shape of a hand with the fingers together, but smaller in size, the size of a pigeon's egg with moles on it. And also it's been mentioned regarding this, that one of the companions, Abu Zayd, Amr ibn Akhtab al-Ansari, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he says, masahtu I wiped his back, فَوَقَعَتْ أَصَابِعِ عَلَى الْخَاتَمِ And my fingers... They landed on the seal. As I said, it can be felt, it can be touched, it's protruding, coming out a bit. So he says, he was asked, He was asked, what is the seal? He says, Hairs coming together, growing together. For there were hairs on it, as it's mentioned. And that's regarding the seal of prophethood. And if we wanted to obviously make the lesson يعني, a bit more advanced, but we did mention in the beginning that it'll be inshallah, uh, intermediate if you'd like to say But there are other athar as well Regarding the previous books And what was mentioned Ahlul Kitab and what was mentioned And more information about the seal Of prophethood And then the authentic and then the weak And the likes because there is a fair few Weak narrations regarding it For that's the seal of prophethood So inshallah ta'ala now When you think of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and when you read about this seal, you can get, inshallah, a little bit of a better understanding regarding that. The next topic, the second topic and the last topic for tonight is the death of his mother. The death of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu wasallam's mother, which her name, as we said, was Amina bint Wahab. We finished off last lesson mentioning how he was returned to his mother right after the incident of the splitting of the chest. So now he's returned to his mother and the mother, my brothers, as we all know, and we've all been there and done that, and we understand, yani, there is no one that can love you like a parent does. There is no one that can love you like a parent does. And there is no one that can be patient with you the way a mother and father does, wallahi. And we're going to see the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, subhanAllah, now he's, you know, right before six years old, late five or some said of the scholars, some of the scholars mentioned six years old, his mother took him to visit some of the relatives from Banu Najjar. So he went to visit the relatives. And some of the ulama spoke about his grandmother from his father's side, yani Abdullah, his father, his mother, Fatima to bint Amr. And they spoke a bit about this. We're not going to get into that, inshallah. Maybe we will when we speak about Banu Najjar later on. And the actual relatives of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and how they actually supported him. And affected his life later on. So subhanallah, how his mother Amina now, she's taking the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam to visit his relatives, to instill the knowledge of the family members, 
his family members with the Prophet ﷺ, teaching him how, respecting them, honoring them. How can you respect and honor someone you've never seen? Or you don't know, for example, yani, or you haven't heard about? For she's taking him now. And we said later on, that would have an impact. That would have an impact and an effect on the life of the Prophet ﷺ. So they spent approximately one month, approximately as many of the books of uh, Sira mentioned, approximately one month in an area or a place called Darun Nabigha, right location right there, yani. And also on the way, which is why some of the ulama said that she took him, was to visit his father's grave. To visit his father's grave. Did we not say that his father passed away, yani, at a very early stage in his life? Some of the ulama, they said his mother was still pregnant with him. Other ulama, they said it was right after he, she gave birth to him. He was born. And they differed about the time. The point is that he lost his father. He became an orphan at a very, very, very young age, if not even, as we said, whilst he was still in the belly, the womb of his mother. And now Amina, she's going, taking him to visit the grave of his father, Abdullah. And subhanAllah, brothers, how important this is. And firstly, before I mention the point I was about to mention, this was in Yathrib, previously known or known as yani more commonly used, which is as we know Al-Madinah. Al-Madinah. It was commonly referred to in the past, obviously before as Yathrib. So this serves as a reminder of his father who passed away. And that's a lesson, brother, subhanAllah, for every widow, for every wife who's lost her husband or husband who's lost his wife. Teach your kids about their parents. This is an advice and a reminder and a lesson to every parent who's divorced, for example, and stops the child from seeing the other partner, his other parent. And the only reason I want to mention this, subhanAllah, in this specific uh, time is because think about it. What's happening with the Prophet wasallam when he's younger? After he gets returned to his mother, a year or two, a couple of years after, some time after, his mother takes him to visit the grave of his father who passed away. And you see, unfortunately, some parents today, sometimes it's the brothers to blame, sometimes it's the sisters to blame, sometimes it's both to blame. Where they get a divorce, do you know how a divorce impacts the children? Especially if it's an ugly divorce and not a, you know, way, a divorce that it should be done according to the Quran and Sunnah. For the parents, they split and unfortunately you get one of the parents often, often, and this is a complaint, subhanAllah, that is recurring in the community. Yeah, and I, I think in the West especially, yani, obviously it occurs in the East and the likes too, but it's something that happens in the West, subhanAllah, far too often. Far too often. So you get a parent, they stop the child from seeing the other parent. Years on end. Wallahi brothers, I've spoken to some brothers and I'm sure maybe we either or know someone like this or we've met someone like this or we've heard of someone like this. And if you haven't, then believe me, it's happening. So beware of this very un-Islamic trait and characteristic and the likes. Subhanallah, some of the ulama have given fatawa, even if the father, for example, let's just use that as the example, even if the father is a bad influence, Tayyib, teach your children to respect the parents. Teach your children about his parents or her parents. Teach your children to honor the parents. Little do some of these brothers who teach their children against their mothers or the mothers, the sisters who teach their children against their fathers, little do they know that what they're instilling in their mind, that child's mind, is it's fine for me to disrespect my parent. So today it's me disrespecting my dad, it's me disrespecting my mum, but tomorrow it's going to turn on you. It's going to turn on you. Just like you treat, just like you do, it's going to come back. Is the reward for good other than good? Is the recompense, you do good, are you going to get anything but good? So what's the mafhum? When you read this verse, what's the opposite of that? Subhanallah. It's a very, very serious matter. Wallahi, I warn all my brothers and my sisters of this problem. Even if it was an ugly divorce. Even if you got a lot to say, beware and be careful of teaching and training your child against the other parent. And even for those who are married, ensure that when your child speaks and he mentions your partner, 
And so he only or she only mentions them in goodness. With respect and the utmost respect. With honor and the utmost honor. And if you see from your child even a letter that might sound disrespectful towards your partner, towards his other parent, then stop them and advise them and teach them. The Prophet wasallam. look what he says, whoever separates a mother and her child, Allah will separate him from his loved ones on the day of resurrection. Allah will separate him from his loved ones on the day of resurrection. And of course, vice versa is also with the father, is also the same, subhanAllah. Yani, what are you really, I don't want to go on around too much, but what are you really, you know, pushing? What agenda are you really pushing? Or where is it going to end? What are the consequences? Wallahi, the destruction of a whole community, which will in turn lead to the destruction of an ummah. The destruction of an ummah. Because when the child doesn't have his parent and his parents, what ends up happening? Not always, of course, but what ends up happening? He goes on the paths and the wrong paths and there's no one there to hold him back, to advise, to teach him. And he's learned that if he can disrespect his parents, he'll disrespect anyone. That's why when it came to that lecture I gave here on this mimbar about three or four years ago now, Wallahu A'lam, about those video games and the danger of video games. And it was fresh in my head. Now, because a brother was talking to me about it in the morning, that he was here, I saw him, haven't seen him in a while, and he was in the khutbah, subhanAllah, and he saw me, and he mentioned it to me that, I last saw you when you gave that khutbah. And I mentioned in that khutbah, subhanAllah, when it comes to games, and I mentioned some of those games like PUBG, like Fortnite, when they had those updates of the actions of the idols and one, two, three, of polytheism, idolatry, and things like this. And then I mentioned some movies like Thor, and things that, you know, that connote kufr and shirk and haram. I said, think about it now. We're allowing our children to play games which have, include like magic and sorcery and Harry Potter and Nabari Shur. They include the most hated things to Allah. Tayyib, would we play a game? Or would we allow our children to play a game? That in that game, the child, that our character, the child, is swearing and hitting his parents, then eventually he adopts those traits. He takes on those traits. But that's why you see a lot of the children, and there's so many statistics about this, you can go and read the case studies, subhanAllah, that have been performed regarding these matters. SubhanAllah, you see the child that has a lot of these problems, and he commits a lot of violence, very violent. He hits and he swears raises his voices, possibly kills, stabs, shoots, has all of these traits. A lot of the times these have connections to certain video games, certain movies, certain whatever it is that they've watched and they've seen and they've looked at and they've adopted those traits from a young age. Like, and how's it going to be raising a kid from five years old and they're sitting there fortnight shooting guns and everything using then six, seven, eight, nine, ten years old playing Grand Theft Auto all of these haram actions that were indirectly inciting our children to perform or acting like it's fine. But then when he hits subhanAllah 15, 16, 17 years old and he starts doing these things, you tell him, no, what are you doing? You go to the sheikh, why is he doing this? Can you speak to him? Can you do this? Tayyib, what did you do when he was younger? Did you teach him it was wrong? Did you show him it was wrong? Or did you allow him and push him and buy him these things and give him, I don't know what they're called, bucks and... <laughs> Uh, so he can go top up and things like this. We've got to think about these things. For anyway, going back to the topic now, but that was inshallah a very important rant, wallahi brothers, yani. They set out now, you've got the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, you've got his mother Aminah, you've got Barakah, Barakah also known as Um Ayman, as we said, and the scholars, they differed about her death. We spoke about her a fair bit yani, already, and inshallah she's going to come up in more detail, but we'll add a few things now. That the scholars, they differed regarding her death. Some of the scholars, they said she died five months after the death of the Prophet ﷺ. And some of the scholars, they said she died a year after. And some of the scholars, they said she died in the Khilafah of Uthman or Umar. And then some of them said in the Khilafah of Uthman. The point is she was very beloved to the Prophet ﷺ. His carer, his caretaker, she was obviously for 
his father Abdullah. So the point is now, Baraka, Um Ayman, Baraka bin Thalaba, she sets out with the Prophet's mother Amina, the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and some of the ulama, some, they even added to them Abdul Muttalib, the grandfather of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So they set out a journey, my brothers, of approximately 500 plus kilometers. It's not a small journey, yani. You don't got a plane to sit there going that journey. It's a very, very long journey. So we mentioned why they set out, why they set out. And then when they were, or they went there, stayed for a month, we said approximately in Darul Nabigha, visited the relatives, saw the, or visited the grave of the Prophet's father, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa father, Abdullah. And now they're on the way back. And now his mother Amina feels sick. She gets an unspecified, wallahu a'lam, illness and sickness. They're on the road, they're approximately between Mecca and Al-Madinah in a place called Al-Abwa'a. And that is where the Prophet's mother Amina, she passed away. She died. And it was mentioned that Umm Ayman, Baraka is the one that buried her. And it was mentioned, wallahu a'lam, that she ordered, commanded or took it on her, yani, upon herself uh, to organize the burial and the likes. So subhanAllah, you look at the life of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa now brothers, the Prophet was raised as an orphan. We already defined orphan. That his father passed away at that age. That we mentioned already the differences of opinion. And subhanAllah, now he loses his mother. That's both his parents. Anyone who's lost a parent knows how hard it is. Anyone who's lost a loved one knows how hard it is. So now the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa not only is growing up without a father, who's arguably one of the most, the most, he is the most, or arguably one of the most important figures, especially in a man's life. But now he also loses his mother. And then after that, his grandfather takes him into his care, nurtures him and raises him. And then after that, his grandfather passes away. His grandfather dies as we're going to get to, Abdul Muttalib. Then he moves on. After now, he's about eight years old. Eight years old, subhanAllah, he's lost his mother. He's lost his father. He's lost his grandmother, his grandfather. And then he goes into the care of his uncle Abu Talib. Then he loses his uncle. He loses his wife. He loses his kids. He... Wallahi, brothers, when you look into the seerah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, it's for everybody. Anything يعني, that you're going through in life, you look into the seerah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and you can relate. And you can relate. And when you read and you contemplate and you put yourself in that position and think about it from that perspective, subhanallah how much our Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam went through. Subhanallah khaliq, يعني, how much he went through. And the tests and the tribulations and the trials in his life that wallahu a'lam, يعني, who could uh, be patient with these. Fahiya, we said he lost his mother, he lost his father, he lost them. Faburayda, he says, Kharajna ma'an Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, or ma'an Rasulillahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, hatta idha kunna biwaddan. That we went out with the Prophet, the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, until we got to Waddan, a place called Waddan, which was very close to Al Abwa, where his mother was buried. So he says, Makanakum hatta atiyakum. Pretty much stay in your places until I come to you. So he says, Fantalak. Buraida, he says, Fantalak. He went. Then he came back. Thumma ja'ana wa huwa thaqil. Ja'ana wa huwa thaqil. He returned to us after some time and he was heavy hearted. He wasn't looking, yani. Why? Because he went and visited his mother, obviously, now. So let us see. He says, فَقَالَ إِنِّي كُنْتُ نَهَيْتُكُمْ عَنْ زِيَارَةِ الْقُبُورِ فَزُورُوهَا He says, I used to prohibit you from the graves after he came back. I used to prohibit you from the graves. Go and visit them now. Because as we know, brothers, at the beginning, يعني, the companions were prohibited from visiting the graveyards. Meaning from visiting the graveyards, they would bury and they would leave. And some of the ulama, they mentioned the reason for that was because of the Tawheed still being taught, instilled, and clarified, and the likes. As we know, some of the companions, they came from a life of shirk, in the sense that they used to worship other than Allah. And what happens at the graveyards often, 
is the worship of other than Allah. So after that tawheed and that aqeedah became firm and set and established, then the Prophet wasallam, after some time he says, visit the graves now. Now you're allowed to visit the graves, for indeed it reminds of the hereafter, and we know the narrations pertaining to this insha'Allah. But the Prophet wasallam, has comes on the authority of Abu Huraira, radiyallahu ta'ala anhu, he says, Zara nabiyu sallallahu alayhi wa sallam qabra ummih. That the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam visited the grave of his mother. Brothers, when you're listening to this hadith and these are hadith, put yourself now in the position of someone who's lost his mother. Put yourself in the position of someone who's lost his mother. And now if your mother is still alive, may Allah have those have mercy on those who have passed away and those who are still alive. But put yourself in the mindset of someone now who's just lost his parent, just lost his mother or his father. And now think about if your mother is still alive. He says, the Prophet ﷺ visited the grave of his mother. That he started to cry. He started to weep. And those around him, the crying of the Prophet ﷺ caused them to cry. Look at the companion, subhanAllah. Imagine the Prophet ﷺ, he just came back to you, to the gathering you're in, and he starts weeping, subhanAllah. Then everyone else starts to weep. You know, the companions, when they see the Prophet ﷺ do something, they would do it straight away. Even if they didn't know why, even if they didn't know the reason, the wisdom. We know the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ when he was in prayer, and he took off his shoes, his sandals and the likes, he took them off. For what did the companions they do? They took him off as well. The Prophet ﷺ, he could see behind him in the prayer. Did you guys know that? He could see behind him in the prayer. And you can go on, I think it's Al-Bayan Radio or Masjid Al-Azhar يعني, on YouTube. And me and Sheikh Abu Abdurrahman, Sheikh Nidal, we have a series about the Qur'an and the likes. Or about the prayer, sorry. We also have one about the Qur'an, but about the prayer. And it's, I think, 10 episodes or something like this, lessons, uh, podcasts. You can go back and you can, inshallah, learn about all of these matters if you uh, want a refresher or if you haven't taken them before on the likes. For he could see behind him in prayer. So after the prayer, he said pretty much, why did you take them off? So they said, Ya Rasulullah, because you took them off. But why did he take his ones off? Because Jibreel alayhi salam descended and informed him that there was some impurity on his shoes. So he took them off. He took them off. But the point is the companions, they don't know why he's taking them off. For straight away he took them off, they take him off. He cried, they straight away cried. But they cried because they were living with him, they were feeling it. Not just wallah, you know, acting or for show or something, no. So here subhanallah, what does he say? Abu Huraira radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he says, استأذنت, that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam then said, so he was crying, they were crying, then he says, استأذنت Rabbi fi an astaghfira laha, that I asked, I sought permission from my Lord, that I seek forgiveness for her, meaning his mother. لي, but it was not allowed, it was not, no permission was given to me. So he says, then I asked him for permission to visit her grave, to visit my mother's grave. So he wasn't allowed to seek forgiveness for her, to make dua for her, but he was allowed to visit her graves, as he says, li. He allowed me to, yani Allah allowed him. الْمَوْتَى So visit the graves, for indeed it reminds of death. It reminds of death. And in one narration of the hereafter in other versions. So look at the companions, yani brothers, those who, those who yani, uh, 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 cry with you, those who fuel your pain, those who try to assist you when you're in need, when you're going through a hardship, those who call you when you're down, those who check up on you, those who pull you to the masjid because of the love of Allah Azza wa Jal, those are the real brothers. Those are your real brothers. Not like the hypocrites. Not like the evil wishes and the evil doers. That when something happens to you, why I say this, look at the companions. How much they loved Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He cried, they cried. Not just cried, they wept and wept. Because they lived with him. 
And when I say lived with him, they felt what he felt. They felt what he felt. Not like, as we said, those evil wishes that when something bad happens to you, they get happy. Whether it's to you or behind closed doors, they get excited. They see your demise, they see your downfall. They see something bad happen to you or your family or your possessions or your wealth or your health and they get excited. These are the traits of the hypocrites. As Allah Azza wa Jal, He says, That if something good happens to you, it actually harms them, it grieves them. You know, something good, you, get, you establish something, you achieve something, you open a business, you memorize the Quran, you're going to the masjid. Huh? Some people, they don't want to say that. They don't, want, they don't get happy for you. No, rather, what do they do? They actually get upset. They get harmed. It grieves them. Then Allah Azza wa Jalla, He says, That if an evil happens to you, something harm يعني, happens to you, they get happy over it. Subhanallah. They rejoice. Now this hadith, brothers, regarding the hadith of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Seeking permission to visit the grave of his mother. Was he allowed to go visit the grave of his mother? He was allowed. Was he allowed to seek forgiveness for her? No, he was not. Why was that? Let's see what the ulama, how they treated this narration. Abu Dawood rahimahullah ta'ala placed a similar hadith underneath the chapter heading Bab ma jaa fi ziyarati qubur al-mushrikin that which has come regarding visiting the graves of the polytheists likewise an-nasa'i rahimahullah collects in the chapter bab ziyarati qabr al-mushrik the chapter of visiting the grave of an idolater those who performed idolatry those polytheists the mushrikin likewise in sahih muslim there is a chapter entitled bab bayan أَنَّ مَنْ مَاتَ عَلَى الْكُفْرِ فَهُوَ فِي النَّارِ وَلَا تَنَالُهُ شَفَاعَةٌ وَلَا تَنْفَعُهُ قَرَابَةٌ أَوْ قَرَابَةُ الْمُقَرَّبِينَ He says the chapter clarifying that whoever died upon disbelief, then he is in the fire. And no intercession or relationship with those who are close to Allah will be of any avail for him. And if someone dies on shirk and kufr, Imagine now you had a family member that this happened. They died like that. Well, billah, as good as you are, as close to Allah as you are, it's not going to benefit them because they died on disbelief. So we say, why did they place these headings and have these headings placed for them of these chapters? Because as we mentioned previously, brothers, the parents of the Prophet ﷺ, they died as polytheists, as polytheists. And some brothers, they get very emotional when it comes to these topics in the sense of what I mean by emotional here, that they reject the ahadith because they just can't accept it. But we see brothers, and this is subhanAllah, a reminder to anyone who has a family member that's not on track. Anyone who maybe has a family member that drinks, that smokes, that does drugs, that listens to music, that is in sinyani, transgression, Haram, a family member that maybe doesn't give zakat, doesn't pray, doesn't fast, sin, sin, subhanAllah, leaves off the obligatory actions, perform the forbidden actions. This is a reminder for the brothers that may have family members like this. Guidance is in the hands of Allah Azza wa Jal. And Allah Azza wa Jal guides whoever He wills and misguides whoever He wills. We know the father we said of Ibrahim السلام, his father died as a polytheist. The son of Noah السلام, the wife of Noah, the wife of Lut. Subhanallah, يعني, does it mean that they weren't good at preaching? Billah? They were better than all of us at preaching, better than we could ever think or imagine to reach. But Allah Azza wa Jal guides whom he wills. Fahiyah, we see that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam as well, as Anas radiyallahu anhu, he says, Anna rajulan qala ya Rasulallah, ayna abi? That a man asked the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he said to him, O oh, messenger of Allah, where is my father? Where is my father? 
So the hadith mentions that he is that when the man turned he went away a little bit the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam he called him so he says the hadith says that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam when the man asked him where is my father he said in the fire he answered saying in the hellfire then the man he went away so the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam called him back and he said to him inna abi wa abaka Indeed, my father and your father are in the fire. My father and your father are in the fire. For subhanAllah brothers, as I said, you look into the seerah, you look into the stories of the prophets. We all have family members, I'm sure, whether close or distant or, you know, whatever it is, relatives that might fall under this. Whether they're straight, outright disbelievers, yani. Or whether they're falling into certain things, whether it's kufr, shirk, bid'ah, nifaq, billah, all of these things, or just muharramat that don't reach those levels. But always take a lesson from the Prophet sallallahu and the life of the Prophet sallallahu Also regarding this hadith and these narrations that we mentioned, these are answers to those who have the mindset that men don't cry. You know that statement that pretty much we, 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 a lot of us probably would have grew up with, huh? Men don't cry. Now you can't show emotion. Men don't show emotion. Men don't shed tears. If you cry, you're not a man. You shed a tear, you're not a man. And this is completely wrong. The Prophet ﷺ, many times he shed tears. Not only did he shed tears and cry and weep at certain occasions, circumstances and instances but sometimes his beard as the hadith would say would become completely wet that thick beard that he had would come completely wet drenched soaked that sometimes when he would cry like some of the companions likewise it's been mentioned you would see the mark the remnants of the tea drops coming down on his skin from how much they would weep and they would cry. The Prophet sallallahu was a better man, a stronger man, a wiser man, a braver man, a man that was more courageous, more honest, more trustworthy, more loyal, more generous than any of us could ever be. And he cried. For where did this statement, men don't cry, come from? It's completely wrong, subhanAllah. Obviously, we're not talking about here if, wallah, you, you know, uh, you a little prick your thorn or a little, a little touch or something, you start weeping and crying and screaming and I don't know what. No, we're not talking about that. But the whole concept of men don't cry, it pushes an agenda, brothers, that men don't show emotion. So you get some brothers, when it comes to treating their wives, no, 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 he's got up, that's it. There's no smiling. Some teachers, likewise, with their students, or students with others, Muslims with their brothers, Nah, khalas, I can't smile, I can't laugh, I can't joke at all. Why? Because men don't cry. Meaning here, men don't show emotion. And that, as we said, is wrong. Look at the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam as the companion. He mentions Abu Mutarrif. He says, رَأَيْتُ النَّبِيَ sallallahu alayhi wa sallama yusalli wa fi sadrihi azizun ka azizi raha min al-buka. He says that I saw the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam praying. His chest was making a sound like a boiling water pot because of his crying. You know when a, 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 a pot, يعني, a, um, a brit, يعني, is, 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 is boiling and he makes the sounds? Subhanallah, because of his crying. Likewise, Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu, as Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha, when the Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, our beloved prophet and messenger, he was saying to Aisha radiallahu anha and those around, Command Abu Bakr. Muru Abu Bakr. Command Abu Bakr to go and lead the people in prayer. Look what she says. She says, Inna Abu Bakrin, Ya Rasulallahi, Ida Kama fi maqamika lam yusmi in nasa min al She says, Abu Bakr, O Messenger of Allah. That Abu Bakr, when he stands in your place, meaning as Imam, 
His voice does not reach the people, the ears of the people. They can't hear. Why? Because of his crying. He's weeping, subhanAllah. And why I wanted to mention this as well, brothers, is the brothers with this mindset, and even the sisters yani, with this mindset, who maybe look down at their husbands or their sons, for example, and I specify the boys here and the men, yani, because they're the ones that generally there's that stigma around, that no, no, they can't show emotion. It affects brothers. Because when a man has this mindset, then how is he going to ever shed a tear for Allah Azza wa Jal? How is he going to cry when he comes to certain verses in the Qur'an? When he's praying, it's just him praying for Allah Azza wa Jal. How is he going to ever shed a tear out of khushu' and the likes if he's been raised from a young age? That No, no, no. Be careful. Don't show that emotion. No. Show that emotion when it needs to be shown in a correct way according to the Islamic legislations. And also, brothers, we learn to make the most out of our parents when they're alive. Make the most out of our parents. I don't mean go milk them for their money. <laughs> make the most out of our parents, meaning with time. How many teenagers, subhanAllah. Look at the Prophet wasallam. He wasn't allowed to make dua for his mother. He would cry and cry and cry. He would visit her grave whenever he would have the chance to. Subhanal Khalik, and you get some brothers today, teenagers, sitting in their rooms all day, on their phones all day. Their parents are sitting in the living room, and the kids are sitting in their own rooms doing, Wallahu A'lam, what, just wasting time. But then when the parent dies, you, you know I mean? brothers, it's time that you'll never be able to get back ever, ever. And if you're someone on Deen, these are perfect ex uh, uh, opportunities to go and sit with them, to teach them. It could be that one thing they see from you, wallahi, one thing they see from you sitting with them in that living room or taking them out. Do you want to go, dad? Do you want to go, mom, for dinner, for lunch, for breakfast? One thing that you say during that time, that could be something that changes their whole lives, even if they're not religious. Could be that one thing that causes them to be more religious than we will ever or could ever be. So for the brothers, يعني, make the most out of your parents. Spend time with them. Speak to them. Call them. Especially those brothers as well who, subhanAllah, يعني, they get married, for example, and they no longer know their parents anymore. That's a whole other problem. And I don't want to go on all of these side rants now, but wallahi, يعني, spend time with your parents. Because especially when they're gone, brothers, You'll never ever be able to get them to get them back. And likewise, the parents, to show love, to show care, to show affection, to show emotion towards the kids. Some of the parents, subhanAllah, they're so rough and tough and just anti-emotional towards their children that it becomes a cycle. It becomes a cycle that the kids grow up and they treat their kids the same. So to just say, I love you to your mother or your father becomes as if it's the... Heaviest thing in, on your heart. It becomes as if, Wallahi, you say anything except say a single word of praise, of love and affection to your child and vice versa. How many parents would love to hear from their kid, I love you? Would love to hear from their kid, yani, just Wallahi, a hug, to see a hug from their child. And because of the way they raise them, and they nurtured them. Their kid is the furthest from that and doesn't even think about it. Wallah brothers, يعني, we, got, we need to really think about these things. Because like I said, when that parent is gone and, and the parents, when that child is gone, you can never ever get them back in this dunya, subhanAllah. For show that love, show that affection. Today our international guest speaker, the brother Daniel, he gave the khutbah at Auburn. And he was mentioning, يعني, when the kids cry, when the kids cry, so many parents are quick to get the phone, put it in their faces, khalas, be quiet. And they do. And they will be quiet. It'll work. But how hard is it for a mother or a father that if their baby is crying, take that child and put them on your chest. Put them on your breast. Hold them. Carry them. Love them. Show them that affection. I'm not saying, no, khalas, keep the phones away completely from them their whole lives. No, no. But we need to show this affection. And once again, it goes both ways. It's a two-way street. 
And as I said earlier, brothers, you see that a lot of the brothers, يعني, and also the sisters, of course, naturally, that when they're raised like that, with that mentality that you can't show emotion, it ends up, subhanAllah, يعني, uh, 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 moving on to ev- the rest of their lives. They don't show emotion to their partners. They don't show emotion to their children. They don't show emotion to their parents. They don't show emotion to their friends. They don't show emotions to their brothers or sisters. And subhanAllah, it harbors and ends up with them ha- having this... You know, either being hated or, you know, one, two, three. Subhanallah. Uh, it was narrated that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, I just want to mention this, inshallah, we're going to be done in just two minutes. I already went over a lot over actually what I was planning to go. There's a hadith out there, brothers, that's been attributed to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam regarding the mother or the parents of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So it said that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said to Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha, or he went away, يعني. as Aisha says, it's been mentioned, يعني, that he stayed away from Aisha after he was crying, after he was weeping, and because he cried, she cried. So he dismounted his mount, he went off, he got off, he got off his mount, and then he pretty much يعني, uh, stayed away from her, as she said, a long time. Then he came back and he was smiling, it was mentioned. So Aisha says, it's been attributed to her, that she said to him, May my mother and father be sacrificed for you, O Rasulullah. You left me and you were grieving. And I cried because you were crying. Then you came to me smiling. Why is that, Ya Rasulullah? So it was said that he said, I went to the grave of my mother, Amina, and I asked Allah to bring her back to life. So he brought her back to life. Then she believed in me. Then Allah sent her back. But this hadith is weak. And this hadith is fabricated. For a better word, this hadith is fabricated. It is not an authentic narration. And from we know from the authentic narrations, the Prophet ﷺ was not permitted, was not permitted to seek forgiveness for his mother. And we know from the authentic narrations that the Prophet ﷺ said that his father is in the fire. And when we say that once again, I repeat like I repeated last time, when we touched up very, very briefly and shortly about that topic, that when we say that, it's just stating the facts from the ahadith with no wal'iyadu billah intended disrespect wal'iyadu billah to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam or his lineage and the likes. And anyone as we know that disrespect and especially intends that wal'iyadu billah the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam this person is a kafir. This person is a disbeliever. So insha'Allah ta'ala brothers will continue in the next lesson regarding the story of Bahira and we'll just quickly have a quick recap about what I just finished off with there. And inshallah ta'ala continue then. Barakallahu fikum wa jazakumullahu khaira wallahu a'la wa a'lam wa salilahuma wa salim wa barik ala muhammad wa ala ali bihi wa manwala. This program was presented by Albayan Radio, the voice of Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah.